Good afternoon. You are listening to Radio Maria England from our London studio. And I have Edward Haddas, who is continuing his weekly series. Uh, um, Edward Haddas is a research fellow of Blackfriars in Oxford. And this week he is going to be talking to us about violence um, and how we understand violence from the perspective of Catholic anthropology. So I'm very much looking forward to this. I'll okay. hand over to you, Edward. Thanks so much. Um, and do do interrupt me with questions and, and observations. Um, I was just talking to someone about my views on capital punishment, and she said I should change my views. But we're not going to talk about capital punishment today. Um, but I am very interested, um, as any sensible person is, reading about all the wars, about Ukraine and about uh, the Middle East, about Palestine and, and Gaza. Um, and it's one of those things that any... I think any thoughtful person should wonder, um, why do we fight wars? Mm -hmm. That wasn't a question that people used to ask. Uh, they just took for granted that people fought wars. But uh, I think now we need to wonder. And I, I, last week I started with a quote from, from Joseph Ratzinger, and I'm going to start with another one this week, um, because he... In, in his book, Introduction to Christianity, he almost on the side wonders about the question of, of, uh, of, of evil and particularly the evil of, of disorder in the world. The ultimate disorder, of course, is war. And we tend to be peaceful people. And so we, we, uh, we, we are very alarmed by the violence of war. And Ratzinger says, and I quote here, how often people say something with a little bit of goodwill, everything in the world would be fine. This is true, says Cardinal Ratzinger, but it is the tragedy of mankind that it does not possess the strength for this very thing. So there's this notion, this understanding that we all have that with a little bit of goodwill, we wouldn't have to go to war. We wouldn't have to have violence. And yet we do go to war. We do have violence. What's the problem? And that's really the way, I, the, the, the question I want to ask today. But I should remind you, and, and this is why I mentioned that, that you, Anna, but any listeners, that, um, that it, this is actually in many ways a very new idea that we shouldn't have war. Mm -hmm. um, the old vision, and this was true among Christians, and we can see this in Augustine, who I'll talk a little bit more, is that war is just something that we will have, we do have. And to say that we shouldn't have it almost made no sense up to quite re relatively recently. Um, and I have another quote, which is uh, from a 1959 novel called Starship Troopers. It was made into a hit movie um, some decades later. Um, and there's a scene in a school where a young teenager says, my mother says violence has never solved any problems. Um, and the answer from the teacher is, and I quote again, violence, naked force has settled more issues in history than has any other factor. And the contrary opinion is wishful thinking at its worst. Now, of course, that's not right. I mean, we're Christians. We don't really believe that violence solves problems. Um, but there's a kind of rightness about it because we do turn to violence when we have problems, we human beings. And so it's compare this, everything would be all right if we had a little goodwill to, there's nothing, there's hardly a problem that violence can't solve. And those are both human sentiments. They're both mm -hmm. things we think of, things we say. So this human condition is really puzzling. We want to be peaceful sometimes, basically, fundamentally, and we'll come back to that, but we don't manage it. And we also sometimes want to use force to get our way, or maybe not selfishly, to promote justice. We think force will do it. Um, but that often, in fact, usually doesn't really work. Um, and it often fails miserably. You have war or destruction, and it doesn't make peace. It makes for more war. So the start of the thinking about this from an anthropological point of view, from the point of view of human nature, is 
to think, well, what's wrong with us? I mean, why are we so prone to this violence that serves no purpose and is against in some way our will? And once we think about human nature in that way, the last question we want to ask, and we'll hopefully get to this before the end of this hour, is what can we do about it? How can we become somehow more like the people we want to be? Okay, so before I get into this debate, I want to just talk a little bit because um, uh, because I just keep throwing around the word violence and war um, and saying we're violent and we're warlike. But what do I mean by violence? Um, surely uh, there's a gap between being violent and uh, being warlike um, mm -hmm. or fighting a war. Um, you know, I might punch you or yell at you. Um, I wouldn't punch you, Anna. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> Glad to hear it. Um, but I, I, uh, um, but I'm, that doesn't mean I'm going to fight a war with you. Um, so I think actually here, the the great guide to Christian anthropology, Catholic anthropology, is Jesus, um, who gives us a hint about um, what's going on here in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, more than a hint, I think he gives us a lesson. Um, and what he does is he takes what is really a fairly delineated command in the Old Testament, do not kill, thou shalt not kill. Um, it's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's very clear. It's a very bold command. Now, I mean, 3,000 years of theology, we have various limits to what we mean by killing. So we are allowed to kill in self-defense or in war or capital punishment under some, some regimes. Um, but Jesus is not satisfied with this, and um, he, he does the same thing for, for adultery that he does uh, for, for, for murder, is he internalizes it. What is it that makes us want to commit adultery? What is it that makes us want to kill? And he's going to give us a psychological unity, um, very... Uh, very much like what we'll see much later in the history of thinking of Freud talking about our unconscious desires and that the unconscious desire may be towards something that we wouldn't consciously recognize. So in, 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 in the Gospel Sermon on the Mount, um, where Jesus takes this, this commandment, you shall not kill, and he internalizes it, as I said. So he, he explains that the violence of murder, which is the ultimate violence, is only the full, say, working out of the violent urge within us, uh, the, the violent equivalent of the lust in your heart that means you've already committed adultery. And he gives us several examples. Um, the examples work by lesser and lesser violence and uh, ending up with with basically uh, saying what sometimes translated as <laughs> you fool, which roughly means that if you sort of step on my toe and I say, oh, idiot, um, <laughs> then he that lesser, that's the least violent, but each of the, the things comes into uh, the punishment you get gets higher. First, you have to be taken to court, then you go to the higher court, the assembly, and then for the you idiot, um, I get sentenced to hellfire. So he's trying to make the point that the little violence in my heart isn't actually different from the intention, from the, the in, in my heart, mm -hmm. I might as well have killed you for, as said, you idiot, because what I've done is I've acted against the love that I'm supposed to have for you. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, yeah. I'm, Slightly controversial in my 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 interpretation here of of of, of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I'll defend it to the death. I'll kill you if you disagree with me. No, no, <laughs> track there. Um, yeah, but it. But I do think it's a very profound piece of analysis in, in exactly the sense I was suggesting that unconsciously or in the orientation of our deepest soul, once we're oriented to violence, it's just a matter of circumstances, how it comes out. If it comes out as me muttering under my breath, idiot, or if it comes out in me hitting the person, or if it comes out in me killing the person, is a matter of 
who I am, where I am, what our social rules are, whether I've been sleeping too little or drinking too much, these things will change the same inner urge into more mm -hmm. or less acceptable actions. It reminds me of how a lot of people say, well, I'm not Hitler, therefore I'm a good person. And I feel like it is, it's well worth emphasizing this point that like, it's the little things that you can that can make you just as nasty a person as as the big things and um yes yes i think it's and, a very profound psychological point it is and and you know when you do moral training which we're all supposed to be doing all the time the emphasis i mean say in the monastic life of um curbing your anger at a very small level is is i think very wise it, it captures something about the moral condition and yes i'm not hitler is just a <laughs> way of being lazy that's i mean it's you know to go back to the new testament thank you lord for making me what i am and not like that other people especially hitler or the man over there who's you know a money lender um so um and and indeed um you know we, these days we talk about microaggressions and the microaggression of stepping on my toe or, or you know, cutting close to me when I'm driving um, is, is well, I mean, maybe you worsened any aggression in stepping on my toe, you just weren't looking or whatever. But it's like tin, we, we, we can burst into flame of anger. Um, and I think that helps us understand what we mean by violence, which is where I was starting here, which is... Um, that we have this like lust in our hearts, we have anger in our hearts. And um, anyone who has committed anger in his heart, uh, has lust in his heart, has already committed the great sin that this, this belongs to. Um, you have committed adultery in your heart and, and or murder in your heart. Um, and so we can talk about violence as a uniform category because it comes from all violence, including I used to be negative on this, including verbal violence, um, berating someone or yelling at someone or calling them idiot. They all come from the same place in your heart, all the way to the wild violence of war. Okay, the next question um, is, is basically, how does this all fit into Catholic anthropology, which is basically the topic of all of my, my, my credo mm -hmm. um, and this year, um, and um, the the place I, I'd like to start there is this paradox. Uh, Saint Paul talks about it in, in Romans or Corinthians, First Corinthians, of I I don't do what I want to do. Um, I know what I should do. I don't do what I want to do. And I, I think there are few places where this is clearer than in violence. Um, that, that is to say, I want to be at peace with my neighbors. I want to have that that little bit of goodwill that Ratzinger talked about in his in his in his his speech about peace and war. I know somehow that's what I want, um, and yet I don't follow this. And this is a, a a paradox. And we try to understand human psychology, this Christian insight into the mixture of um, desire uh, of, of, of the good and the desire or the, un, the, 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 the drive towards the bad is incomprehensible if we, if we take too simple a notion of human psychology, but completely comprehensible once we understand uh, the, the Catholic Maybe not completely comprehensible, but at least describable um, mm. in, in the term, the moral terms that, that, that the church has developed basically out of this teaching um, of, of Jesus and out of the teaching of, of St. Paul on original sin. I should say, I like to be fair here because I keep talking about the desire for peace. Um, if you're uh, if you're a Calvinist and sort of the old school and thinking about well Luther's term of total human depravity, you you would start on the other side. You would say that um, the, there we have a human inability 
we all have this inability to control our violence, even though we know or could know or should know or dimly recognize um, that, that we want peace. Um, so you might start with, we all have inside us this desire, the base case would be the desire for peace. Or you might say the base case is this unwanted uh, but always present depravity, in this case, the depravity of violence. Either way, the paradox remains the same, that there are these two things inside us, um, these two drives that are in many ways similar it's not like our reason versus our emotions. They're both emotions or they're both passions. They're both reasoned things. Um, we reason that we need to have violence to promote justice. We reason that we should have peace because that's what God wants. Or we have a passion for peace, a longing for peace. That's an emotion for peace. And we also have a longing perhaps for violence, a desire I mean, I know we have a longing for violence because you watch a violent film and at least a, to a certain extent, at least men identify with this violence. They find it quite satisfying. Ooh, look, he got what he deserved. Uh, so that that sympathy with the violent character comes from somewhere inside us. Uh, it has to. Um, but I, I want to, 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 to push on to, to, the Catholic, I mean, I've just defended the Protestants a little yeah. bit, but I want to talk about Augustine, who maybe is, I mean, he's definitely Catholic, but Protestants often identify him. It's one of the things he says, and this is in book 19 of the City of God, um, as he says very powerfully, we ultimately all want peace. So that, that initial quote that I used from Cardinal Ratzinger, that we would like, we, we want to solve our problems with a bit of goodwill, goes along with um, this Augustinian idea that even though we're turbulent, even though we're violent, the basic core thing that we want is peace. And he recognizes that this is a very bold claim in the text um, because he says you'll have rulers who are always going to war. Mm -hmm. And he explains this as rulers want their own peace. They have a notion of what a just peace is, and which is when they control <laughs> all the territory. Um, and he makes the claim, um, and I think it's a claim that we really need to believe as Catholics, as our understanding of human nature. He makes this claim that, um, that no one goes to, to uh, we always go to war to make peace, but we never go to peace, as it were, to make war. That the natural state that we wish to find, the good state that we identify is the state of peace. And this really is a bold claim. I mean, if you read accounts of soldiers, they'll often talk about how they're restless unless they go to war. And you'll read about rulers who basically have nothing they want to do except to go to war. Um, and and they, they come into power, their kings onto their thrones. And the first thing and the last thing and everything they do is to increase their sway. But Augustine says, you misread that if you think that they're really not wanting peace, um, that they're just wanting peace after they finish their duty or their desire to expand their kingdom, to show their manhood, to show their valor. But it's all for the service, says Augustine, of peace. And as I say, I think we need to believe that. Um, I think as Christians, it starts with the desire for the heavenly peace, the peace that, as it says in, in, in the Gospel of John, not the peace that the world can give us. Mm -hmm. But that heavenly peace that we're striving for forces us, even in the city of man, even in the fallen city that Augustine is describing, um, to look for the peace that the world can give, an imperfect peace, a peace that we may think we need to fight for until we get there. But the, as Christians, um, we need to think for, we need to believe that it is peace that we are searching for, not just in heaven, but here on earth. And that mm -hmm. is a good time to break for a song. I was about to say, yes. to. this is Dawn by Bob Townsend. Oh, yeah, 
was Dawn by Father Tansy, and you're listening to Credo on Radio Maria with Edward Haddas, a research fellow of Blackfriars Oxford, and he's been talking to us about violence and the sort of the inner conflict of the human person. We want peace, and yet we seemingly also want violence and see it as a solution to all sorts of problems. Um, so I'll, I'll hand back over to you to keep exploring this uh, fascinating topic. Okay. Thank you. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, we were just chatting behind the, the music, and Anna was saying that, that um, we're welcome questions by by uh, is it by text is how how we were taking questions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so please, anyone who's any listeners, um, where I, what I want to talk about here is is how to sort of shape this paradox that I was just mentioning that Augustine says that. Uh, we want peace, even though it doesn't perhaps look that way. And the way I tend to do this is, is to talk about nature. We talk about having a human nature. And we mean three things when we talk about our human nature. Um, we start with the idea that we have a created nature. This is a nature prelapsarian um, before we fall in the Garden of Eden. It's how God made us. And we don't have it anymore, but we remember it. Um, we don't remember it as it were, because the, I remember it like the time I went to get ice cream when I was 12 and it was a beautiful experience. It's not that kind of memory, um, but it is um, it is a sort of human memory. It's a collective unconscious, if you will. We know that's how we're supposed to be. The, the fall, um, the, the, the change in the human condition that's told in this story in the book of Genesis is a true story about how our psychology works. And again, this is a sort of Catholic anthropology theme is that we are not out of touch totally with this way we were, even though we are not able to be that way. And so it's human nature to want to solve the world's problems. It's human nature to want to love each other um, and to want to love each other perfectly, to think that's how we should be. Um, and for what it's worth, it's human nature to think that we're somehow immortal because before we fell, we didn't have death. That's at least the teaching or the basic teaching of the church. So in this sense, it's natural, it's human nature to want peace and to want only peace. And insofar as we can remember this prelapsarian state, this un, unsinful state, we only want peace. But then by nature, we are also fallen. That's the world we live in now, as we are now. Um, and so in that nature, sin has gotten in, its, in our way. And it's the only world that we can live in as we experience. So while we may remember the unfallen world, um, we actually have to live in this world of uh, of, um, uh, of of distortion, of of sin, of confusion, um, and you get this rather odd confusions of nature. So we'll say, "Oh, that's really unnatural of this person to say, well, to to want to kill someone." You know, he's, he's, wants to he he what an unnatural desire mm -hmm. and then a wise person will say oh it's only natural to have desires like that and they're both right so it's only natural mm -hmm. in the second sense to have unnatural desires desires that are unnatural in the first sense um and so that's that paradox of the use of the word nature well in our fallen nature we are both peace wanting and um and violent wanting because that's what the the fall does but the the fall tarnishes us but doesn't destroy us um maybe if you're a radical calvinist you your desire for peace is almost entirely lost but i'm not a radical calvinist and i don't really know what they say and there's a third kind of nature which is the nature that's redeemed it's the grace redeemed nature and in that nature that's supernatural, it's a sort of supernatural nature, then the Christians have a, a belief that we can be, are in it, in baptism, in the church. Um, and we also believe that non-Christians 
have an intuition of this, that there is, to use Henri de Lubac's phrase, that there's a natural desire for supernatural grace, and that the peoples of the world who haven't been able to, haven't heard the good news of, 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 of Christianity, of Jesus's redeeming love, they still hope for, and somehow intuit, they have intimations um, that there is a way out of this fallen condition. So it's not exactly natural, it's supernatural, but it is within our natural world to hope for um, and to expect peace. So nature is, is this very powerful three-pronged word, nature, nature, nature. It is our nature to want peace. It is our nature to remember peace. And it is our nature to fight against peace, to be violent against it. Um, and I think that's the way to frame this question of violence. And we look at, um, to use a really gruesome example recently, but we have all this documentation of what the, the, the activists or terrorists of Hamas did. Um, and they were clearly instructed to be as violent um, as they could be to somehow shock the world. So that's why we have all this documentation. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a reminder of how deep the violence is inside us. And, and your comment earlier, Anna, of, of you know, people say, I'm not Hitler. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those, those young men from Hamas weren't that different from the young men on the other side of the army, not in terms of how much they want to kill necessarily right now, but in terms of what's in their heart, how their nature is. Their nature is always the same. It reminds me so, a bit of um, Flannery Connor's stories are full of violence, and I think they are often, through kind of a much more explicit violence, making known the more interior, subtle violence. But in a way, yeah. in a way that's, that's like the opportunity for grace in her stories. Sorry, this is a little yeah. bit of a tangent, but I think it's just a really interesting when, while we're talking about the kind of link between more explicit violence and more interior violence, um, how explicit violence can, can offer that opportunity to make known what's going on interiorly and so be an opportunity for grace. Absolutely. And, and, you know, she always, Flannery O'Connor, when she would write about her, her own writing, would say, what I'm always telling are stories of invitations to grace. And in general, in her stories, these invitations are turned down. And <laughs> when you turn down grace, you're left in the second understanding of nature in which violence is inevitable uh, and, and almost impossible. And yes, it's in her stories, because it's, it's art, um, the internal violence will take sometimes rather bizarre, um, picturesque forms of, of showing the cruelty uh, of, that, that's within our hearts. I, I, I mean, these, you know, I just try to remember some stories there. But the woman, the the, the man that steals the the, um, um, the the artificial legs of of, of women um, to, because he has a sort of fetish about it. Uh, his his violence against women is is remarkable in Flannery O'Connor, but not that distant from anything that's in our own hearts, which is why she's a very powerful writer. So the the thing that we need to then say is thinking about once we think about nature is that the evil, the violence is the one thing that doesn't fit. There's something wrong with it in terms of our original nature. It's there, it's inevitable, but there's some way in which we, we find it very difficult um, to, to see evil as true to ourselves. And so we're always shocked by evil. We're both not surprised and shocked. And that paradoxical response is in itself um, um, uh, 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 part of the paradox of evil. I mean, some years ago, Amnesty International, um, before they just became another left-wing lobbying group, ran an ad uh, saying, um, we are continually shocked by the cruelty of humans to other humans. 
and I remember someone saying to me, you're continually shocked? <laughs> I mean, aren't you used to it by now? You've been doing this stuff for 20 years. But I think that there's actually a great honesty in that. I mean, I think there was also yeah. a great democracy there, but is that we are continually shocked. It's always a surprise, the violence that we mm -hmm. have inside us, because in some sense, it's not true to who we are. And we feel guilty when we stop being shocked. This is what I, I find sometimes when I'm so tired listening to the news and I, I hear about a terrible thing happening and I just feel nothing and I feel like something's gone terribly wrong. But like, yes. there's a good, there's yes. a good, a way, a good way to be continually shocked in a way and it, we feel like we ought to be alive to it in that in that sense yes yes what do they call it um catastrophe fatigue or something and, and indeed if you're in the money raising business for amnesty uh you have to try and overcome this fatigue and then they're they're basically projecting we want you to be to continually shocked so you'll give us some more money mm -hmm. but you're right our moral nature should be shocked by this. It should always be a surprise. Um, and so we're in this very peculiar position. If I mean, it's, it's obviously true, but it's peculiar if we were simple creatures. So we are, um, we can't stop ourselves from um, violence. Um, and yet we know we have to keep it under some kind of control. We have to fight against it, um, and as as Christians, we understand that we have to, that that this fight only makes sense only as a chance of success um, if we rely on grace. So we have to be active in our fight and also receptive to what the grace of God that helps us, and that puts us in the position that you just actually were saying, Anna, of being always unsatisfied. Um, so if we, we, we should be shocked, we should be motivated at all times. And if we lose that, then we've lost something important about ourselves and we have to shake ourselves back into this mm -hmm. dissatisfaction with evil. Not saying that if you're, you know, can't take any more of it, you're not dissatisfied. Um, there are limits to what humans can do in, in some very, very basic sense. Um, and this fight puts us into a position, and this is, I think, a, a moral point that I, that I really want um, to make, which is that we often resolve this tension of evil, of violence, this desire for violence, by finding an excuse to be violent. We say, it's not that I want to be violent, it's that this person deserves to be yelled at, or this person deserves to be hit, or this war deserves to be fought. It's a just war. We have to go out and kill people. Um, and that may be true that there is some kind of justice in this violence and that because of our fallen condition, and Augustine is very aware of this, the only, the least bad thing we can do in the city of man, in this fallen city, may well involve violence, forcing someone into prison, protecting the innocent um, through war. That may be the worst, the least bad thing we can do. But we must be careful. In fact, we must be wary. In fact, we must be extremely suspicious of our own motivations, mm -hmm. because what we're looking for is to take God's job. God says, vengeance is mine. I shall repay. It's the beginning of uh, Anna Karenina. It's from New Testament from the Old Testament. And we must remember that if we're doing God's work, it is with the regret of the sin that surrounds violence, with the regret that this is disorder. Mm -hmm. And so we have to see that violence is itself against our better nature, our first nature, and certainly against our third nature um, of, of, of redeemed nature. It reminds um, me. Yeah, and a very interesting take I heard on capital punishment, because obviously it was permitted in certain circumstances by the church. Um, but also Pope Francis has um, said we no longer need capital punishment. And amidst this whole debate, I, I heard someone make the argument it can be permitted, but it's falling short of the gospel in some ways. It's not just a question of whether or not it's allowed. And if it's allowed, then go ahead. It's like 
it can be permitted, but surely we can do better. We can be more creative in these situations to find a way that's that's more loving and and still honors justice and has more space for forgiveness. Like we we can we can be more expansive in a way. Um, yes, yes. And if we're saying, "Ooh, that's good. Let's 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 execute them. Mm-hmm. You know, kill them, torture them first. It's only for the justice of it." Um, <laughs> be suspicious we, we of your motivations <laughs> right if we're yeah. taking pleasure in violence then we're engaging in sin um and after our next song i'll bring up the difference between sex and violence so something to look forward to okay <laughs> this is how great thou art by johnny cash How Great Thou Art by Johnny Cash. Um, and you are listening to Credo here on Radio Maria. We're talking to Edward Haddas about um, violence and its place in Catholic anthropology, um, which is a really fascinating talk. Um, do you want to just finish up and then uh, Tim, Tim has sent us a question. Very good. Yes. So I was just talking about um, the danger of taking pleasure in violence and hiding behind virtue um, and saying, well, I'm just being violent to uh, um, because it's what justice demands. And, and this brings very close to sexual violence or lust that I mentioned before. Um, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount parallels these two. So first he talks about violence and then he talks about sexual desire. And the two, of course, are very often closely related. There's a lot of violence or can be in, in, in sexual love, um, can be, let's say. And um, But I, I want to point out that there's a very fundamental difference um, because in sexual love, no matter how twisted and depraved and even how violent it is, um, that it's um, that that there's a fundamental goodness to it. And at least Augustine thinks that no matter how good it is, there's a, a tinge of sin that we can't ever overcome fully the lust in our hearts because of our second or fallen nature, um, we're, we're stuck with that. And we, we try to be pure. We try, as John Paul II says, to have self-mastery. Um, and some of us try harder than others. And sometimes we each try harder than other times. But our sexual desire, our sexual orientation, um, well, in the old days, old sense of that word, um, is basically good. Um, God gives us the capacity for sexual love to procreate, to unify ourselves, and the sin scars it or tinges it or stains it, but there's a basic goodness in that. Violence is the opposite. It's basically bad, and perhaps sometimes it's necessary, um, and perhaps sometimes it will feel satisfying, but um, and so, so we, we have to recognize the potential need for it, and even in some complicated, twisted sense, the goodness of it or the things that it produces. Um, but it's bad. It's always a concession to our, our weakness when we use violence. And so in that sense, 
although the two teachings are paralleled, they're very different. One is talking about the distortion of something good, and one is talking about the prevalence of something bad. Um, and, and I think it's important to, to make that distinction. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned that Tim has a, let's, let's hear yes. Tim's comment. Hi, Edward, thank you for what's again been a really great talk. There's a scripture in um, Matthew 11, verse 12, which says, Therefore, the kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. I know you're uh, probably not a scripture scholar, but I was wondering if maybe you had an opinion on what that might mean. Okay, um, I am not a scripture scholar, and whatever scripture scholarship I have done falls short when we come to this line. Mm -hmm. um, I, I will say that uh, that's the title of one of uh, Flannery O'Connor's um, short novels, The Violent Bear It Away or The Violent Take It Away. And I did once read a, um, a, a, a commentary on Matthew, which um, claimed to understand what this meant, but it then provided four or five different interpretations. So this is a, com a line that has bothered scripture scholars who do know much more than I do. So I'm not gonna be able to answer it, but I will give you a suggestion here, which is that, um, that, that heaven, the kingdom of heaven, demands a kind of breaking of our nature, a kind of willingness to go past where we are. And that willingness to go past where we would be in our kind of fallen nature can seem like violence. Um, so as, as Jesus says elsewhere in, in Matthew, I think, you should hate your father and your mother. Uh, and, you know, this gives an, an opportunity for sermons to say, no, no, of course, he doesn't actually mean you should hate your father and your mother. And here I'm going to say it doesn't actually mean that you should be violent. But it means that that thing that we associate with violence, that gap between the kind of every day of getting along and doing something dramatic, um, just as hate is, is a break of a kind of conventional sense of love, um, that, that Jesus' call, to radical call, is a call for this radical change. Now, I'm going to say I don't know if that's what Jesus means in, in mm -hmm. this saying. I'm just giving you an interpretation that fits with the story I want to tell today, which is about um, the question of how uh, of, of where violence fits into the human condition. And of course, the answer to that question here that I've just been offering to you is it fits in all too well with the fallen condition. And it fits in um, not at all with either our first nature as created beings or our redeemed nature. And we have to, as it were, shake violence off with violence. We have to bear off, mm -hmm. approach heaven with the same kind of wild intensity that we have as violence. That's my interpretation for today. Um, if Tim wants to send me another uh, <laughs> voice message in a few weeks when I'm talking about something else, I may well give this a different interpretation for that line. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, a, a question. Yeah. Um, I remember reading Plato's Republic and Plato seems to think that the reason we have war is because of greed, fundamentally. Um, it's the sort of our desires going beyond what they naturally can be to just be self-sufficient and live peacefully with each other. I, w I wonder what you make of that. Okay, this is in book two of The Republic, and um, he's trying to sketch out um, this ideal state, which is also the ideal state of mind. And he says... Um, that we all we would we would eat acorns and sit on the grass we wouldn't need very much and the eating acorns is relevant because one of the people that socrates is talking to there um says that's a fine state for pigs <laughs> but we're humans and he says oh yes okay well in that case i guess we're going to have to want things and then we're going to want too much and then our neighbors are going to be fighting with us and then we're going to have to start fighting wars so you can look at that as saying that it's greed that causes war or greed that causes violence. Or you can look at it 
as I'm trying to look at it and say something a little bit different, which is that it is in our nature as disordered people um, to find ways in which we are, which are, 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 we end up being violent. We can't be those simple creatures who just um, make things work by making, uh, by, by having low desires. It's not exactly that greed makes us want violence, I, I would interpret it. It's that our inability to be ordered inside ourselves, because remember this, mm -hmm. this perfect state is a mirror it's, it's, as Plato says, it's, it's the, ourselves writ large, written in large characters so we can see it more clearly. Um, and, and when we look at ourselves as we really are, we're not pigs, but the things that we want um, are the things that end up um, bringing us to violence. Um, and so you, you can call it greed, but you could just say our desires are never very well controlled. And our, one of the uncontrolled desires is the desire of domination. Uh, Augustine talks about the love of domination that brings us to violence. Um, so Plato's online with this picture of human nature as being remembering that we could be like pigs. Uh, we could be simple and good. And maybe the state of in paradise was like that, but we're not that way. And we have to figure out what to do with it. And Christians can go part of the way with what Plato says we can do with it. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, though, which is this leads into very nicely, um, is what should we do with it? Um, Plato, by the time he's done, has a very odd description of how the state is going to work and how the highest part of the soul, as he describes it, um, the governing part, um, or at least the, the part that serves the highest government, um, should live. And it's it's a very, um, uh, well, as I say, peculiar in, in terms of the education of these guardians and, and so forth. But we're not dealing with a utopia or even a kind of utopian model here. We're dealing with this disorder. And one of the things about civilization, the idea that we live together in communities, is we find ways, better or worse ways, to deal with this desire for violence. Um, anthropologists will say that much of what we do in human society is find ways to deal with our sexual desire um, and um, we find ways to organize it through marriage and through various rituals. And you can also add to that list of things that human societies have to do is to find ways to deal with violence, the violence that we find in ourselves. Um, and those of you who are anyone who's familiar with René Girard, the French anthropologist, literary critic, philosopher, theologian, um, he has various titles or various interests. He's very interested in this, and he has a theory about how we displace our violence as humans by finding um, what he calls a scapegoat based on the description in the Old Testament mm -hmm. of a, a victim who we declare to be guilty of, uh, of some great sin. And instead of fighting each other, we say it's the scapegoat who needs to be killed. And the goat part comes from the, the Jewish idea that we put all of our sins on a goat who we send out into the wilderness. But Girard says um, we often have, um, we don't find a scapegoat exactly. We find some kind of peaceful resolution that takes in our violence, finds a way to be violent that we see as controlled and good. Um, and so Girard, at least in his pre-Christian moments, um, has a sense that the best we can do with our violence is to channel it into ways that we see as virtuous. Um, he talks about how many cities are founded on a story of violence. Rome is founded on two brothers killing each one, killing the other. Um, Romulus kills Remus, but also Cain kills Abel. And he has a lot of other mythical stories 
and that the peace that is found to overcome this murder is the peace of the city. And it's often reenact the original murder is symbolized and reenacted in some way that allows us to to purify ourselves with violence uh, against violence by some violence. Gerard also says, and we're getting towards the end of my hour here. He says war is a kind of scapegoat activity. The enemy is our scapegoat. He deserves to be killed. He is the source of our sin. And this allows us to kill our enemy and to get our violence out. Now, that's, um, that's a powerful idea. We don't always need to go to war, but if we look at some of the ways in which we exercise ourselves in, in modern society, we have sports, contests. We try to go into on adventures, to go into the wilderness, to show ourselves uh, as strong. And all of these things involve some kind of violence, symbolic, sublimated, harmless. We're violent again in our strength against rocks. We're not gonna do anyone any harm. Um, but our notion of our, our need to do something about violence is a great challenge. And the Christian answer, the ultimate Christian answer, and Rene Girard is actually very good on this once he he's converts to Christianity and he says, Jesus is the innocent scapegoat. We can't claim he's guilty. And the existence of Jesus, the knowledge of his violent death, is the one that Christians will reshape the Christian calling. So the Christian calling, leaving aside the details of Sherrard's analysis, but the Christian calling is to nonviolence. It's to as much as we can, in as many ways as we can, to find that peace that surpasses our understanding, that peace that is not of this world, the peace that God gives us, and to, to put that peace into this world. And we can do that by forgiving. We can do that by nonviolent protest of trying to turn peace, to make the world peaceful by accepting and rejecting, accepting violence against us and rejecting violence as a solution to problems. But we must recognize that this is an act of perfection. We're never gonna get mm -hmm. in this fallen world we're never going to get to the end of violence. And people who want to get to the end of violence, who claim we can get the final peaceful society, well, that's the tragedy. You end up with utopias that are enforced by the worst violence we've ever seen. So the Christian anthropology tells us that that third nature, the redeemed nature, the grace-opened nature, can overcome violence, even in this world. But it's a sad and partial and incomplete and often tragic overcoming because sometimes we have to offer our life in peace to overcome violence. And Wonderful. with that thought, <laughs> I will come to the end of this hour. It's a very good note to end on. Thank you so much. We've...